Looks to get it in. They get it to Boyd. Boyd gets it to Kyer. Kyer with three to Livingston. Long desperation three. It's good! Hey, Ted. Hey, Ted. Hey, Ted. GiantKiller.co and the By George Podcasting Network presents an Athletic 10 original, the Hey, 10 Podcast, featuring PD Buckets. Welcome, everybody, to a very special edition of the Hey 10 Podcast. I am PD Buckets. Find me on Twitter at PD Buckets. Here with my co-host, Chris Pyle, uh, Parley Pyle, as you may know him from Twitter. We are so excited to finally be back in the booth, bringing you some more uh, talk about the A-10 and what has just been sort of a wild, like really ridiculous kind of conference season so far. Pyle, what's up, man? I know we tweeted each other all the time, but it's been been a while since I've heard your voice. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's been a it's been a good while, but I'm back to get in there. I'm going to be a uh, fresh dad here in a couple months. And so I'm getting hey. in my podcasting while while I still can, while I still have my freedom, you know, well, you still can. Yeah, your freedom is about to be ripped away from you. Um, it's OK to tell people you're having twins. That's like that's on the timeline, right? Like you're putting that. Yeah. Out there. Yeah. yeah. Wife is having twins or having a boy and a girl. And you don't I have know. and you don't have kids yet. So you're going from zero to two. Correct. There are two cribs currently in the bedroom. That's like, that's, yeah, that is, that is unconscionable. Going from zero to one is the hardest thing I've ever done by far. Uh, going from zero to two is like, not, I don't, I don't know. I'm curious to, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see if you like still be, still be around in five years. It's, um, it's basically taking, uh, all the high hopes of being a parent. And then all of a sudden you have a quad four loss. That's what I have to put, throw <laughs> two, into that. <laughs> two of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. Well, yeah, I'm also, uh, my wife is also expecting, so we got a couple sad dads on this podcast here. Um, but yeah, my <laughs> wife is also expecting also in May. Um, so who knows this, uh, this podcast probably doesn't have a very long shelf life at this point, but, um, Anyway, we don't don't want to bring everybody down. Obviously, very happy to uh, be adding additions to our respective families. Um, it's a uh, it's overall it's a blessing, you know. Even though we uh, we will whine about it all day long, um, but people aren't here to talk us uh, hear us talk about parenting. Uh, people are here to uh, hear us talk about the A ten. So it's been such a you know just such a silly season so far. I think in a lot of different respects. Uh, where you, you tell me where, where are we starting today? We're going to start with the, uh, we're going to rank the top seven in the conference. Um, you know, it's been kind of a little bit of a cluster of, you know, all the different teams, you know, everyone's kind of beat up on each other and, you know, people kind of have wanted to know, you know, what do we think here as to how these teams are kind of ranking up despite the standings. So I'm gonna let you lead off with that. All right top seven rankings let me um let me figure out where i put that tab uh so that I, so that i can talk to the people about it so Hell yeah starting at number one and i tweeted out tears earlier today um and i'm gonna go through and defend them here but starting at number one i think is davidson not a surprise at all um and i also i think that dayton is like right on that davidson tier so i've got davidson and dayton um one and two it's more like, you know, 1A and 1B. Um, I think I'll give I'll give Davidson the nod for the superior resume so far. Um, but I think that Dayton sort of like when they're playing at their top speed, I think they're the they're the best team in the conference. Um, 
if you look at Davidson's go to their Ken Palm, number 11 in the country in offense, number 201 in the country in defense, um, I'm concerned that Davidson, I, I'm just concerned about Davidson's defense, like overall, um, and how that's going to play down the stretch in conference play. Um, good news is they only have, uh, they've got four, what do they have? Four road games, um, four more road games in the conference schedule, GW, Rhode Island, Duquesne and Dayton. So like two of those are gimme. So Davidson could have a really, really, you know, they might win the conference outright, probably the favorites to win the conference outright at this point. Um, but I'm just sort of belaboring the point uh, right now. But I think that Davidson and Dayton are a lot. Probably, I think they're like neck and neck right now. Um, behind them, sort of like, and these are like very squished tiers. I've got St. Louis and VCU, um, three and four. I am super impressed with St. Louis. I think v, a VCU team with an at least with an elite defense is just terrifying. Um, so I think those are, those four teams are probably the favorites for the double buy right now. Then, uh, Mason, uh, Bonaventure and Richmond five, six, seven. That is also a fairly flat tier. If you want to like put any one of those teams at five and then a different one at seven, not going to argue too hard about it, but number one, Davidson, number two, Dayton, number three, St. Louis, number four, VCU, five, Mason, six, Bonaventure, seven, Richmond. That's where I'm at right now. So, uh, we're a little, we're pretty much the same. We're a little different down the stretch when we get down to the, like the three, four, five region. Um, but I have obviously Davidson number one, uh, still best team in the conference. Well, an offensive machine, but you're right about their defense. Uh, it is really sketchy, like in conference play, especially like they're only better than George Washington, Duquesne and UMass, which is like the dumpster fire of defenses in the off in the conference. So, uh, yeah, they've definitely squeaked by a couple games here and there, but their offense is so elite that they're kind of able to, you know, get by with the bad defense and conference play. So we'll see how that plays out though. Um, but number two, yeah, Dayton. And as, sorry, and just, I just noticed this as we're recording this, uh, Dayton, Davidson and St. Louis 55, 56, 57 in Ken Palm. Yeah. I it's think wild. there was, there were, there was one. There was one team sandwiched in there, so they weren't they weren't like three in a row earlier today when I was looking at it. But some results must have updated 55, 56, 57 right now. It's, it's yeah. I don't can't recall seeing that before. Yeah, that that happened about last night, uh, probably about eleven or twelve um, as, as games are finishing up. Um, it's pretty wild. Um, even in the net, Dayton is sixty now, which is pretty mm -hmm. crazy. Um, yep. Dayton uh, is my number two, just like you. Um, drubbing a VCU yesterday, really impressive. Best defense in A10 play by far. Um, honestly, they're two one point losses away from being 9 0 in A10 play, which is uh, it, it's frustrating as a Dayton fan to think about, but like also that <laughs> that shit kind of happens, you know, like it's it's bound to happen. I mean, this team is really good and they're really talented but they were going to drop some games and it just happens. So mm -hmm. um, I'm really happy with what they're doing so far. So um, I'm really happy about Dayton. Uh, SLU is my number three. Um, yeah. Pretty, pr they're a pretty balanced team. Um, they're second best offense in the A-10, third best defense. Um, if there's anyone that's going to make like, they're kind of like the best of two of both worlds of like Davidson and Dayton, you know, they kind of have a good like mesh and good 
uh, consistency about them because it's like Davidson is like that team is the really good offense and Dayton's like the really good defense and Slew's like, well, we got kind of both. Yeah. So and they kind of proved that yesterday with Mason. And and, and Okoro is coming along nicely for them too. Yeah, he's been really really good. Yeah. Um, number four though, I have Mason. Um, really? yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> you've been talking about it on the timeline a little bit. Uh, even you know DM groups like, are you buying Mason? Are you selling Mason? What's going on there? Like, Talk what do you me. guys think of them? Well. At first, it was kind of like, well, I'm selling them because they couldn't win on the road. And while they beat UMass on the road, it's not that big a deal. I'm like, well, Mason went to like South Dakota and lost to some pretty like mediocre teams. So like, that's I think that's big for them, especially since they've struggled in uh, non-con or throughout the season and on the road. But I thought yesterday was kind of the game that I'm like, okay, if Mason can like kind of hang in there or at least look like they belong because i think st louis is an elite team and they've already beaten dayton i think that they're they're pretty like they're a team that can hang in there with anyone they kind of have the personnel to kind of be a very good team in this league they're in conference play they're the top effective field goal percentage team yeah um their defense is pretty average but i think that's mostly has to do with them not forcing a lot of turnovers but they have a lot of guys that can guard on ball and joss Oduro can pretty much handle either a big that's like kind of like a big bulky big like martin linson or they can deal with like a very like athletic big like a oshun or a duran yeah. so i really like how mason is just built and they've kind of seemed to figure it out now in conference play yeah, they yeah they're playing well. I don't I don't I don't know if I see them. I'm 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 like cautiously optimistic on them. I think they certainly and I'm sure we'll get we'll get to we can save it later. Let's get through. I'm sure we'll get to it. <laughs> I'm a Mason fan. We'll talk about Mason some more. But let, let's get you. through the rest of your rankings there. Uh, number five, I have VCU. Um, mm-hmm. Just because yesterday, although it was a really bad loss. Um, their defense is still pretty elite and with Vince and even Deloach too, um, they're still going to yeah. be a really elite team. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were missing big Vince. Yeah. Um, and then number six, I have Bonaventure. Um, I think they're a good team, even though, like, even though they kind of have some, uh, problems there with, you know, how they're managing minutes. And I'm sure we'll get to that later <laughs> with, uh, with, with not managing minutes. You mean? Yeah. For <laughs> essentially, um, but yeah, I, I normally, I wanted to put Bonaventure over VCU because they have that win, but I'm kind of in the mindset that because that Bonaventure VCU game was at the beginning of the conference season, Bonaventure kind of came off of, you know, there, there was their second game back from a COVID pause. So I'm thinking, you know, they have the fresh legs to come back and they beat that team. And I'm thinking that you know, if, if the Bonaventure VCU game was later in the season, maybe VCU probably ekes that out because they have the fresher legs, Yeah, but the bon- I'm not really, the I'm not really buying in that. I'm not really buying that game really as much anymore. Yeah. And the Bonnies always look good against VCU because the Bonnies are so all their other problems aside, the Bonnies are just so strong with the ball. Like everybody, they would just, they put like four ball handlers on the court at all times. Um, so like VCU's pressure has just never bothered them. Not, not this current iteration of the Bonnies. So like VCU's ball pressure all over the court and Bonaventure is just totally unbothered by it. So I think that's a, that's a matchup that is always going to look good for Bonaventure. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can put them over VCU right now. What I'm really interested though, for them is, you know, discussing, you know, you mentioning those matchups and VC, they play VCU again, March 1st, like right before the eight ten tournament. Yep. And I'm just wondering if like their legs are going to be shot by then if they don't figure out their bench problem, but we'll see. I mean, if VCU, yeah, I mean, if VCU wins that game, that's been such a plus matchup in Bonaventure's favor for like a couple of years now that if VCU wins that game and if they win it decisively, that will just be another like gigantic red flag in the middle of this Bonnie season. Yeah. But then who you got? I'm assuming, I'm assuming you got Richmond number seven. Yeah. It's, it's St. Joe's. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, <laughs> it's Richmond. Uh, yeah. I, I wrote a little bit ago on a 10 talk. If you don't follow us, follow us. Um, but yeah, Richmond, they seem to like, they're starting to like kind of figure it out. I mean, they're not like anything elite, but um, they've had some unlucky finishes for sure. Um, and their defense has gotten a little bit better. Uh, they're actually in a 10 play their first in steal percentage, um, obviously due to most likely Gilliard. Um, but yeah, they're, they're kind of a team to watch out for, especially, I think they kind of turned a corner ever since that Rhode Island game uh, where they came back and won. They gained a lot of confidence from it. So I'm I'm honestly eager to see if uh, with this game tomorrow against St. Bonaventure, if if they're really up to the test to kind of get back in that like top four conversation, because if they are, it's going to be a yeah. four seed. But I don't know. They're, they're kind of figuring it out, you know? Yeah. Great effort against VCU. Um, and Vince Williams just hits a shot that like you let him take every single time yeah. with that sort of like off balance off the dribble three, like Vince, Vince is a great shooter, but it's not, not a shot that he hits a lot of the time. Um, but yeah. And I think one thing worth mentioning here before we move on is that the top, it is like so clear to me that the top seven teams are like in whatever order you have it, the top seven teams, there's like this hard cut off before you get to Rhode Island. Um, and then the bottom seven teams, and it's like a tale of two, I don't know, it's two different planets, man. You've got like seven pretty legitimately decent to good teams um, in the top seven. And then you've got like Rhode Island, who's way more talented um, than, you know, than, than the level of they're playing at right now. Uh, and then behind them, it's just a bunch of trash. So it's like the, uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, might be overstating it a little bit, but the the delineation between the top half of the conference and the bottom half of the conference is like there's no i don't know there it's it's so so abundantly clear i think at this point rhode island is the most wild team i've i've watched in the a10 in a while and that and that's that usurps last year's rhode island team i know <laughs> it's like, wild like they they are themselves <laughs> yeah they it's wild. I actually have not looked at their Ken Palm until like just a few moments ago, but like their offense is 207 now in the country. And I think going at A10 play, it was probably around 100. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Their three point shooting and their two point percentage are all, you know, it's all in the green. Their effective field goal. Like the, they're almost all top 100 and like everything besides like free throw shooting, which is like a whole completely different story. But like I just can't believe they're not winning games. It's it's wild right now. I mean, I mean, we can. We lived it last year, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, their their talent level, and that's why it's fair to have them in the bottom half. They have like easily a top half talent level. They might have like a top four talent level, but you just they're they're just the least trustworthy team I've ever seen. 
Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, top, that was the top, that was the top seven. I think it's like, it's going to be interesting. I also feel like one thing worth mentioning before we move on is like, I feel like the top seven are all alive for the double bot. Um, I think like the top four, I think it's like the double buy conversation is Davidson, Dayton, St. Louis, and VCU. I think like those are the favorites right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, like Mason could slip in there. Um, certainly like Mason's talented enough um, to slip into the double buy. And then Bonaventure and Richmond, like I'm not, I, I don't know. I've just like, I've been around too long to just like write teams off at this point in the season, you know, like experienced teams that are fairly talented like they can turn it on and like they can they flip a switch they figure stuff out i'm not saying it's gonna happen i just don't feel like they're i don't feel like they're completely dead it would like not be a surprise to me if one of those two gets hot yeah what's nice about you though as a mason fan is you have two tiebreakers over top top seven teams that we just named you have tiebreakers over dayton and saint bonaventure Mm -hmm. who they don't even play again so You you're you're riding high right now, you know. The the one against St. Louis would have been really nice. <laughs> yeah, it would that would have almost have everything. that would have probably put your top four probability over fifty percent, you know. Yeah, but it you know it is what it is. But that that just creates some more fun because now you got what do you got? You have VCU beats Davidson, Dayton beats Slu, Slu beats Mason, uh, Mason beats Bana, Bana beats VCU. Like it's gonna be awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be wild. I'm sure we're all gonna be doing a like numbers crunching exercise in the scenario exercise on the on the last <laughs> the last weekend of the season or the last like two games of the season to figure out what all the scenarios are. Um, but yeah, where are we uh, where are we going to next? So next we have we're gonna talk a little bit. So we're about in the halfway point of the a 10 season. I mean, maybe not maybe not George Mason, but they're getting close. Right. Uh. We're gonna we're getting towards that player of the year conversation. So we're gonna let's talk about some player of the year favorites that we each have. I'm gonna let you go first and name. Let's go back and forth here. I'm gonna give you can name a guy and then I'm gonna name <laughs> another guy. Uh all right. I mean uh so some re- a little bit of recency bias baked into this, but I was at the Mason and uh, uh, I was at the Mason St. Louis game last night. Awesome game. The result sucked, but just an incredible basketball game. Um, I didn't really have Yuri Collins on the radar until last night. Um, and now he's like, not only, not only is he on the radar, but the race feels so wide open that he's like extremely, an extremely legitimate candidate. Who? Why do you have Yuri Collins as a candidate? Tell me why. why. why I, do- I don't. I don't personally, but I just want to know, like, what's the argument for him? Well, I mean, I think you're I think you're silly at this point. If you don't, he's the leading assist man in the entire country. Um, he's like number four in the race on Ken Palm. If you go to the Ken Palm page, which, you know, of course, isn't everything. Um, St. Louis, I think there, I think there's some context here where like. St. Louis is certainly overachieving without Devontae Perkins. Um, did I say Devontae Perkins? Javante Perkins, obviously. Sure. But um, no, Yuri, he's the um, he's a tremendous point guard. He's uh, 11 points, uh, 8.6 assists, 4 rebounds. I'm just looking at his counting stats right now. Um, shooting is getting a lot better. He's not like a super efficient scorer, but he's also like he's, his game all year long or his game his entire career has been as a facilitator. Um, 
his, I, I think, I think what he's been doing this year is just incredibly impressive. And his three point shooting's coming along too. He's like 35, 36% from three. So he's added a lot to his bag. He is the engine that makes St. Louis go. Um, I think St. Louis is probably going to finish two or three in the conference this year. And uh, I think that, you know, if Yuri continues putting up like nine assists per game and gets his points per game average up to like 12 or 13, that's a, uh, you know, that's a, that's a really legitimate candidate. So is he your favorite right now to win it or no? Uh, no, I don't think he'd be my favorite. Is your favorite Josh Oduro? Cause that's my favorite. <laughs> Josh Oduro is your favorite. Yeah, he no. is. Talks. Uh, okay. I'll let, you, so- I'll let you, I'll let you talk about that though. So, yeah. Um, so the one thing I want to point out before I get into that, um, is basically I've, I've looked up the research basically on like how coaches and voters put in like their player (laughs) of the year votes. Okay. And it, well, the pattern kind of fits, it's kind of interesting. So basically since the a 10 has been its current format. So the 2014, 2015 season with Davidson join, that's like the current format, the player of the year candidate has always been a player that is in belongs to a team in the top finishes in the top four of the conference and has always been a top 10 scorer. Now only one of those times were were they a top 10 scorer, but uh, all the other times were a top five scorer and the top 10 scorer was Deandre Bembry. So, which he is in the NBA. So you get it right. So player player of the year is for bucket getters yeah yeah for sure so that's kind of where i kind of headed my way into this looking at it today i went with joshua duro and because mason is a potential top four team um they're they're definitely on for that double buy uh right now as of today he is the leading scorer in the atlantic 10 um, he is actually 17.7 points per game. Jimmers, uh, Gibson Jimerson is 17.6. It's, yep. it's pretty remarkable. Um, but the one thing that he kind of has, he does have those six rebounds a game on average. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of the bucket getters in the A-10. They don't like contribute in another level um, or another statistical category, but Josh can like kind of get it all, <laughs> can get it done on all different parts of the court. Um, he has the highest player efficiency rating in the A-10. He's third in the A-10 in effective field goal percentage. Um, and plus he has the highest usage of any player in the A-10. Like George Mason really knows how to use him and get him involved. Uh, he's, I, I guarantee you, he touches the ball twice or three times on every possession. Like, uh, this dude has been elite. I've been really high on him for the past like couple of years. Uh, if, if Mason is in the top four, it is because of Josh Rodero. Yeah, I really think so. I'm not going to argue with you too hard there. I think he's definitely a candidate. Um, And yeah, Mason, I've been watching Mason all season. We play like a heliocentric style of basketball or like Josh Rodero is the sun and everything else rotates around him. Um, His usage is almost 30% at this point. Nobody else over 23% on the team. It's like everything's going through Josh right now. yeah, so I totally, totally see that. I think he's a very legitimate candidate. Um, I'll go next since you you asked me if Yuri was my favorite, and I said no, he's not my favorite. I think the favorite right now is I actually I have two I have one like conceptual favorite, and that is uh, 
whoever emerges on Davidson. So like, let's say Davidson finishes number one in the conference, even if they finish number two in the conference, it's going to be because like Foster Lawyer or Luker Brezhkovic is averaging 15 or 16 points a game on top of like a bunch of rebounds and a bunch of assists. So I know like, I don't really feel like Hyunjung Lee is there, at least not right now, um, because he's cooled down a little bit in conference play. Like he was great out of conference, but um hasn't uh um you know i feel like he's he hasn't quite been the guy for davidson uh down the stretch of these last few games so i've got either uh foster lawyer luka brashkovich like one of those emerging from davidson i think the i think the safest bet right now is like somebody on davidson to win it and that sounds like i know it sounds silly but that's the uh um i think based off of what you said about like it's always the top four team um, that produces the player of the year like oftentimes it's like the best team in the conference that produces the player of the year um and i think that davidson uh is I, I think one of those guys likely emerges yeah i do have a davidson player as one of my guys um uh, to me if i had to pick a davidson player it's foster lawyer um yeah. I really like him. Um, I, I thought last year, you know, for all the hype and the accolades and the compliments we give Hung Jung Lee, who deserves them. He, he's a very good player. Like last year, Davidson was not very, they were a very average team, even with him. And now Foster Lawyer comes in and now this team is very, very good. Like they're like a well-oiled machine. Um, like he's the top three-point shooter in the A-10. Uh, he's the top free throw shooter in the country. Like it on Ken Palm, it says number one. And I feel like I've never seen that like on any a 10 player, but, mm. um, I feel like that. I, I mean, I think that should be given a lot of consideration as well. Um, he's only eighth in scoring, but with nine games to go, I think he has a legitimate shot to be a top five scorer in the a 10. Yeah. Um, I think if Davidson wins the conference, he wins it. Um, he also, he's also the leader in eight in the a 10 in offensive win shares. Um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so like his, his offense means a lot to this team. Um, he's kind of like that extra offensive scorer that, you know, that they're like, they don't need to really rely on Lee if they don't need to. Um, but you are right though, by saying like, Brykovich or Lee like it just kind of depends on who is like the hottest player on that team by the end of the season they're all uh, they might win it I mean there's also a scenario where like you're like Oduro wins it because you know Lee and Foster and Brashkovich each get like two votes <laughs> yeah Oduro gets five or something like that so like the Davidson guys I don't know I'm not not mathing very well right now but like you know the Davidson guys might get like more votes combined <laughs> than whoever ends up winning it. Um, right. But yeah, it's going to be, there's not like an obvious candidate there. Cause I think I'm looking back through the Ken Palm. I think I might've overstated Hyun Jung Lee's decline a little bit. He had a, like a rough three game stretch where he went six points, five points, 13 points on fairly poor shooting for him. Um but then bounce back within like 14 and 18 points the next two games. So, you know, he, he might be fine and it's, it still might be him, but um, yeah, it's weird. It's never felt so like wide open right now. I think the more I'm, the more I'm talking through it, I do feel like Odero is probably a good pick. Cause like Mason runs every through everything through him. He's going to keep getting buckets. He's going to be like 
in that 17 to 20 points per game range by the end of the year. Um, and that's going to be when he's like so obviously the guy um, and he's scoring a lot. It can be tough to catch, you know, that, that can be like an easy guy to gravitate towards. I think the, we also haven't mentioned like Vince Williams. Um, I think Vince Williams, if you look at all the advanced stats, I think he's a very legitimate candidate. And you and I were talking in the DMs today about like what a fantastic defender he is. But you said it earlier, uh, you know, player of the year is an award for bucket getters. Vince isn't even averaging 13 points a game right now. I think like all else aside, that's just going to be tough for him to overcome. Like if we're actually thinking about him as a candidate here. Yeah. If you're looking at Vince, I'm looking at defensive player of the year, which is also a really prestigious award, especially in the A-10 with so many really good defensive players. But yeah, it's and plus first team, like he could definitely get there as a first teamer because that's definitely looking at like an all around aspect of a player. Um, but yeah, player of the year is bucket getters, but, um, I do want to point out though, I, I didn't have Yuri on my radar. I had him as like a first teamer, um, not as a player of the year. Um, if I was going to choose anyone on SLU though, it would probably be Gibson Jimerson. The thing is with Gibson is yeah, he's the third leading scorer in the a 10 he's, uh, SLU's a potential top four team, most likely top four team. Uh, second, uh, averaging 17.6 points per game. He problem is he doesn't do much else. You know, he doesn't, he only averages two rebounds a game. He doesn't even average an assist a game. Um, you know, at least Arduro with him, he averages those six rebounds a game with lawyer. Like he's like the leading free throw shooter in the country. Like that's if, if you have a bunch of guys that are kind of like in there together that just do a lot of the same shit together they're going to like voters are going to look at it and be like, okay, what else does he do? Well, you know, Oduro does this lawyer does this Brykovich does this. What does Gibson do? Well, yeah. he shoots, he shoots the ball really well. That's about it. So Gibson is yeah. No, no other box score contributions. You're totally right. And I think like beyond that, Gibson is a fine player. I don't want to take this as like, I don't want this to be seen as like trashing him or anything like that, but nobody, sure. nobody who watches St. Louis play, like you can watch St. Louis and come away impressed with Gibson Jimerson. You will never like watch a St. Louis game and think like that guy's the best player in the conference. Like I thought that about Yuri Collins last night. It was like, did not seem like a ridiculous thing to say. Like Gibson's a really good scorer. Um, but like you said, no steals, no blocks, no assists, no rebounds. Like, you know, that's not a, um, you know, he knows his role. He's filling it very well on the St. Louis team. It's not not quite like the points are great. Not quite the archetype of a guy who's who's going to get that player of the year, who, who's going to get that hardware. But how much of the Yuri hype is based off of last night and how much of it is all season? I know he's the, the first he's the top assist uh, rate in the country, but like, are he's you the top assist you, guy? No, I mean, I, mean, I, I feel <laughs> I feel like we're kind of like hand-waving that right (laughs) that should that should be important he's the top assist guy in the country on a team that doesn't shoot like particularly well like i think a lot of assists this year and this is like one of the things i think is super impressive about yuri a lot of assists in today's college game are off of threes um and that's because like if you look at the i've seen advanced numbers where like 80 to like 85 percent of threes in college basketball come off of assists because college guys by and large are not like taking these dribble step back threes and if they are they're certainly not hitting them um so you know there are a lot of assists that come through 
uh, in today's college basketball game where like you can get cheap assists from like just you know bit like throwing a bailout pass to a guy who hits a three um and yuri uh i don't know like that his assists don't come off of three pointers i'm not saying that but i'm saying like if you read the tea leaves that st louis just does not shoot a lot of three pointers they hit right about 35%, but they're one of the lowest three-point attempt rates in the country. Yuri is getting his assists by passing the ball into the post. He's like such a fantastic pick and roll passer. And that is the basis of everything that St. Louis does on offense. Um, that's like the, you know, that's 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 where everything starts is like Yuri's, you know, St. Louis lost Javante Perkins. They're still a very good team and they still have a viable offense. They have a top 60 offense because Yuri Collins is such an outrageously good passer in the pick and roll. So I don't want to like, you know, I know there's a lot of historical precedent that you need to be a big time scorer to uh, get the player of the year trophy, but Yuri, you know, his, uh, I don't want to just like sort of like hand wave away the, 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 you know, his very real uh, uh, ability to generate offense for St. Louis by being such a good pick and roll passer. Now, have we had an, a player of the year like him? Cause I don't disagree with you. Um, but have we had a player of the year like him who, you know, uh, like, cause I'm just looking back in his like last couple games, you know, I mean, he had the 35 point last night and I'm not talking about assists. Cause like he's in double digit assists. Like he, yeah. he's an amazing passer, but looking at his points, like 11, 11, 10, the past three games, um, he really doesn't have much more than that. Um, so, is that going to, is that going to hurt him to try and get the player of the year? Or is he going to need more outlook like last night? Maybe. I mean, you got to remember like the, the, the coaches are the voters for player of the year. So it doesn't matter. It's not like media or anything like that. Like what we say on here has absolutely no bearing on who like actually uh, brings home the hardware. Um, I think it's sort of like easy to like look at the top scorer on a good team. And, you know, the guy who's at like, I think most coaches are going to look at like the best player on the best team. Who's like, you know, the guy that you game plan around or whatever, probably going to end up being like an Oduro or a, a an Oduro type or like whoever emerges from Davidson, like we said, um, Yuri's, you know, Yuri's got a very legitimate claim to it, I think. And I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get that. I mean, I think just with player of the year, like it might be Oduro and then, you know, one of the Davidson kids and, you know, if it is a slew guy, like what are the voters going to go with? They're going to go, are they going to go with a you know, a guy like Gib Gibson, who's just a bucket getter, or are they going to go with Yuri who does literally everything else right and makes that team go. So they're, they're, they're not, I mean, they're not, they're not going to go with Gibson. I mean, I think the, yeah, nobody, nobody looks at Gibson and thinks that's the best player in the conference. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's some, there's some bias there, but I think that's, that's what it's going to be. I got you. Yeah. Um, let's move on to Twitter questions that we got. So uh, this first one is from at bonnet underscore nation. Should Mark Schmidt be under more <laughs> scrutiny, especially with the management of minutes and tired legs? PD, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you start with this. All the Bonnet fans with the questions, like, should we rip out Mark Schmidt's fingernails? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Should Mark Schmidt be under more scrutiny? I mean, I feel like it's getting there. I feel like the, uh, the A10 community has been giving him a lot of shit, but I also think that we're, you know, not, I don't know, not like insular, but not like the, the, the national guys are starting to pay attention. I think um, our buddy unfurled tweeted that absolutely absurd stat today 
that absurd stat, um, SB unfurled on Twitter, follow him if you don't already. Uh, he somehow, I don't know how he did this, but he's a, he's a really great data and stats guy figured out how to quantify the bench minutes for basically every team since 2008, I think he said, and I, I didn't take a deep dive into it. I don't know if he was just like looking at Ken Palm or whatever, but he said that there have been 5,200 something unique seasons over the past 14 seasons played by hundreds of basketball teams. Um, this year's Bana team is going to be dead last of like over 5,200 teams in bench minutes. And the team that they are, the record that they're breaking for fewest bench minutes belongs to last year's Bonaventure team. Uh, so yeah, and I mean like Matt Norlander, I think responded to that today. I think some other, someone like Goodman retweeted it or something like that. Um, I might be wrong on that, but like national guys are national guys are starting to pay attention. We've known that this was like egregious and not healthy for St. Bonaventure. I think I didn't personally realize how truly unprecedented in the grand scheme of things it was. Usually when you say you don't have a bench, it's like you might go seven guys deep, but this, you know, guys six and seven are still playing like 10 or 15 minutes a game. And that's a really thin bench. If we look at Bonaventure, um, and so, sorry, I should have, should have had this in front of me, but if we look at Bonaventure, their bench guys are playing what, uh, let's look at minutes a game for the team. You know, they've got Koulibaly playing nine minutes a game right now. Um, they've got Linton, Linton Browns at 13 games, but he's only played 10 games this season. Then they've got Quadri Adams at like 11 minutes per game, but he's also missed a game. So they, their bench minutes are just like outrageously low. They're getting like less than, less than 20 minutes off the bench per game at this point. It's like, it's not, it's not sustainable. He's, he's, he's grinding these guys into dust and he's throwing away a dream season. He's throwing away a dream season because of it. Like, I don't, I don't know what else there is to say about it. Kula Bali, uh, his percentage of minutes is 22.8%. Uh, Linton Brown, which I seriously didn't know that he was a guy on their roster, uh, <laughs> 17.7% minutes and Quadri Adams is at 25.7% of minutes. Like, so, but, but the, it's but, wild. But the other thing about that minutes allocation is that like, remember Attaway missed a game and Lofton missed a game. So those like those numbers for Brown and, and Quadri Adams, those are inflated by the fact that they had to play full games. So when um, we probably maybe would have run the numbers for this beforehand, but when Bonaventure starting five is healthy, they play close to the whole damn game. There's just like, what are these guys getting like six or seven minutes off the bench? If that, when, um, when Bonaventure's got their starting five. Yeah. The, it, what's crazy to me is that out of their wins where they're up by a lot, like let's take the VCU game. They won by 20 points. Okay. Their uh, Koulibaly played four minutes. Like you're telling me that when they're like Mark Schmidt, if they're playing, you know, and they're up probably what by like 15 at this point, like with four minutes to go that you don't trust your bench to come in and close out that game. Even Quadri Adams has 11, had 11 minutes in that game. Like yeah. those guys couldn't come in and close out that. I know it's like five minutes to go, but like that makes a big difference in the wake of the season, you know? And yeah. I think it, I think I forget who brought it up, but they made a very good point last year in that 
Bonaventure and the seat, the whole season in general was just like, everyone was on a break constantly to the point where Bonaventure had barely fresh legs to go every week. So like, was that a big part of the reason why they were so good? I, I, I'm kind of in that theory now that that's, that's very close to the story of what's going on from this year to last year. I mean, yeah, they've got like, I don't know. They've got, they've got three games a week for the rest of the season um, or two, yes. at least two, maybe three games a week for the rest of the season. Yeah. It's not, yeah. I think he, he got away with it last year and I don't think he's, um, you know, in the, in the Mason presser, somebody in the post game presser for Mason, somebody actually asked him the question um, about, uh, uh, about, you know, like, you wish you'd play your bench more or something like that. And he was like clearly displeased by the question. He was like, this is what I always do. I'll, like I'll handle it, you know, I'll manage it. And I think we've always known Schmidt doesn't love his bench, but you know, I think the, the numbers that was like a really, really holy shit kind of stat that unfurled just dropped. And the other thing is that, that like, we thought they beefed up the bench in the off season, you know, um, cool. Cool. was a starting center at pit, like in the ACC last year. And he was, you know, he was, he was fine. He's not like great, but he should be serviceable, you know, in the A-10, um, thinking that he's a, or sorry, I guess he was a backup center in the ACC, but he was still getting like 20 ish minutes per game. I don't, I don't know how much he started. Um, but he was, uh, um, you know, that's a guy, that's a guy that's playing in the ACC he should like, he should be able to hold his own, like coming in for 10 or 15 minutes a game. Like, Oh, soon as soon like, he's got back problems, dude. You know, you can't, you can't play him 35 minutes a game, um, all the way into February and March. And that's what it looks like. That's what Schmidt's going to do. And like, you've got this, you know, you've been working your whole career to get like a starting five like that to play for their second you know, consecutive season where they're going to be able to like learn and grow together. Um, and instead the guys are just like, the guys are just, just kind of dead. I think one of the super interesting things about like senior laden teams that fall short is that John Giannini, Dr. John, the former LaSalle coach came on this podcast, I think two years ago, I think it was the 2020 season where the tournament got canceled. And he talked about how being senior laden wasn't necessarily a good thing because each individual season is such a grind that like guys get burned out by year four. And I think the phrasing he used was like, you have to go back to the emotional well so many times um, that it can just be like, you know, guys, guys don't always have it in that fourth season. And I, I almost feel like a little bit of that's happening with, uh, with Bonaventure right now. It's just like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. It's kind of like, it just feels kind of sad overall. Yeah. Like, and we were all really excited for this team and they, uh, you know, they started the season really well. They, they have a great win against Marquette, like everything was going great. And now it's kind of deteriorated to this. So, um, you know, it, and we have like a month and a, we have like basically two, a month and a half left of the season. Like, are these guys going to be ready to go? I I, I don't know. I'm yeah. it's kind of it's kind of almost sad to watch, like you said, but I mean, yeah, he did moral of the story, yes, he needs to be under more scrutiny a little bit. Yep. Um, let's move on to the next question. Um, and even another coach. Uh, this is from Joseph McLean at I'm gonna guess Dino 12. Uh, does David Cox get fired after this season? I think the answer has to be yes. His yeah. Now is the year to do it. He's got one year left on his contracts. Um, 
Yes. Like uh, what, what has he done to justify an extension? If I have to look it up, that means he's done nothing, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, they, in 2020, in the tournament year that got canceled, they were very much on the bubble. I think that was Jeff Doughton's senior year. They were very much on the bubble, like late in the season, but then they had a really bad late season stretch and played their way off the bubble. And I think entering the A-10 tournament that got canceled, it was pretty clear that he, um, uh, you know, I think uh, it was pretty clear they were going to have to win the A-10 tournament to get in there. So I don't think he's ever produced like an at-large team, which is sort of an expectation at Rody after the, uh, you know, after the Hurley years. He was a, you know, he's billed as a recruiter. He was, you know, they actually wanted to keep him for continuity because Hurley landed that amazing class and those guys all said they would stay and play for Cox. And then like, they're all, and like they were all gone like fairly quickly after that, like well before they used up their eligibility. Um, it's just like, you know, it, I don't know. It's sad. David Cox seems like a really likable guy, but it's just like, it's, you know, n- nothing about his tenure at Rhode Island feels like it's working. Yeah. It's just not working out right now. Um, he's besides that 2020 team, the other teams, uh, 2019, they were 142 in Ken Palm, 21, they were 111 in Ken Palm. And this year, now they've slid down all the way to 106. I mean, the team has talent. It's just like, is it a him problem? Is it like the, the scheme problem? Is it like the players that he's bringing in? Like it, it's, it just seems like it's not going well like on all spectrums and the Fordham lost the other day like I know Fordham's turning their self, themselves around but that's a game that Rody should win so like it just seems like that and I watched a little bit of that game it really seemed more like it was uh like they didn't want to play they didn't want to be there uh to and play like that game at all less yeah LaSalle took them to the wire at home that's one of their wins they were up 18 to 3 on GW I think at like they're just blasting GW out of the gate, um, and then GW uh, um, came came back and ended up winning that game. They were really competitive at Dayton away, like that was that was a good one. But then they followed up with a loss to Fordham. Like every time you watch Rhode Island, you just get the feeling that with the talent they put on the floor, they should be so much more. Um, I was having a Twitter conversation with Nate Hegney today, I think. And I think he like summed it up best where it's just like, it's a team that doesn't value offensive possessions. They just like, it's just, they do so many, so many, so many silly things. It it doesn't, you know, it doesn't feel like a well-coached basketball team. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know how much there is to belabor the point here. I think he's definitely getting fired. I think if there's any reason he wouldn't be, it's because the same AD who hired him is still there. Like if the AD who hired him uh, had moved on, then it would be like a hundred and ten percent done deal by the end of the year. I think probably still, probably still looking like that, barring some sort of miraculous turnaround. But um, if there's anything, if there's anything at all in his favor, it's still, still the ID, st- still the AD Thorbjorn, sort of like his guy. Um, sometimes we see a little bit more leeway when that's the situation. Um, otherwise, I mean, I think Cox is pretty well, pretty well good as gone. Uh, next question. We got two more and these will be kind of quick. Uh, this is from Ev, uh, Adam Moldover. Will Mason earn that coveted double buy? Mason earning the coveted double buy. Um, man, that, uh, if they were able to beat St. Louis last night, 
they could have gotten to five and one in conference with wins over Dayton Bonaventure and St. Louis and tiebreakers over Dayton Bonaventure and St. Louis. Instead, they only have the tiebreaker over Dayton and Bonaventure. I think Dayton's going to finish well ahead of them. I don't, I don't think the Dayton tiebreaker is going to make a whole lot of difference. Um, Bonaventure certainly maybe um, might help at the end of the year. Uh, but I think that's, I think Mason's got kind of an uphill battle. We've got home games against some, uh, you know, we got home games against Richmond and VCU coming up. We actually have, what we still, we still have six games on the road in conference. We've played a, played a bunch of, um, bunch of home games in conference. We played four of our games at home and two of our games on the road. So we got more away games than we have home games coming up. Um, so we have LaSalle away, Richmond away, St. Joe's away, Fordham away, VCU away and Davidson away. So it's like if you pencil in losses at like the Siegel Center, Davidson, um, and then wherever it is that Richmond plays, then that's like you can't Mason can't afford another oops game. Like we had our oops game against GW. Like you can't drop. There's just like no more margin for error. Like you can't drop that to LaSalle or St. Joe's or Fordham. Um, and those aren't like, you know, those are all solid teams. And Mason's been a little shaky on the road. So I think that. Love my guys from Mason. We're four and two right now. Would hate to see it, but I mean, it's not like out of the question that Mason finishes the conference season like 10 and eight or 10 and seven, depending on how many games we make up. Um, you know, I think the the road to a double buy sort of depended on beating St. Louis last night. Um, it's still like not out of the question. I would just say the odds are definitely against it right now. I would say if they're going to get it, it's going to be the four. Because like you said, they're the the tiebreaker against Dayton's probably not gonna matter. Even if they beat Davidson, the tiebreaker might not matter. Um, and last night their that St. Louis game probably mattered a whole lot to at least get the three seed. Um, but if they're gonna get if they're gonna want if they get this fourth spot, they're gonna need to beat VCU. Um, I, I forget how the tiebreaker works with like, if you play a team twice and you split with them, then, you know, what happens, but I think then, right now, then it goes, then it goes to record against best opponent in the conference, which and would be Dayton would be VCU or Mason is one to know against Dayton. So if Dayton wins, it goes to Mason, but then VCU split with Davidson and Mason only gets Davidson once on the road. So so it would depend on Dayton. it would depend on that Davidson result. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. If yeah. they if if they if they get that four spot, they're gonna need they're gonna need the win against Davidson, probably. But the Bonaventure win does help because it doesn't seem like if, if Bonaventure is gonna get up there, then they're gonna get that they have to get a four spot, um, that fourth seed. But George Mason has that uh tiebreaker over them. So mm. I can see it just um it's a little too early right now, but you know, I can yeah. see it with the four seed. Yeah. Looking at the schedule, they need to split Richmond and they need to split VCU. Like yeah. then it's, then it becomes a conversation again. And if they do that, and if they win all three of those on the road, LaSalle, St. Joe's and Fordham, like then at that point in the conversation in a few weeks, it might be like, it might be very much on the table, but it's like really, really could have given themselves a little bit of margin for error if they pulled out that win last night. Um, but yeah, not, not looking likely, unfortunately. Uh, last one though. Uh, this is from at UD Cincy fan. When will De Ron Holmes get drafted? Uh, next year, I think next year. 
next yeah. year. I don't, I yeah. Don't think, sorry, you go ahead. So I, 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 I tried to go a little bit in depth into this, even though I'm not an NBA guy, even though I watch, I maybe I probably go to more Pacers games than I uh, watch on TV, but um, yeah, I think it's probably next year just because a lot of just looking back at a lot of different mid major stars that get drafted like Obi um, and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and Steph Curry and John Morant, all those guys stayed at least two years with Steph staying three. So, and Duran definitely has the defense, but he doesn't have the offense like totally yet um, to create on his own. A lot of it is like it's fed to him from like Mally or whoever's going to assist him. So like for me, it's probably next year. Yeah. And he's got a top 40 block rate. He's actually got a great true shooting percentage and a great, great O rating. Um, he just doesn't take a ton of shots right now. I mean, I think I also think Anthony Grant has an extraordinarily compelling case to make to him from just two years ago. Like Obi, Obi could have entered the draft and been like a mid second round pick, you know, but then he came back. Dayton had this incredible season. They were a legitimate national championship contender. And Obi like worked his way up into the lottery, you know? So I think that, uh, that, that happening just two years ago in the program that Duran Holmes is in, I, you know, unless we get some sort of late season breakout or he's projected, you know, first round ish, um, you know, if you're, if you're projected as like a very solid first rounder, that can be really tough to pass up. I think he, you know, needs to needs to add a little bit more to his offensive repertoire. Though I'm looking at the numbers right now, he's shooting almost 68% from two, which is just outrageous efficiency. But um, no, I think uh, I think they're gonna um, I think they're gonna get him to come back for one year, especially because his whole team's gonna come back around him too. I don't think Dayton's losing anybody consequential this year, so that's gonna be. Uh, you know, the, the, the ability to like run it back where everybody has a year under our belt. We won't take those ridiculously stupid Q3 losses in the beginning of the season. <laughs> we'll be like, you know, we'll be a tournament team. You can keep working on your game up your draft stock. Uh, I mean, I think that's a pretty, pretty easy sell for Duran if he's not projected as a first rounder this year. Here we go. Uh, finally to what all the degenerates have been waiting for uh, the main event. Hey, 10 best bets. Um, we're going to look at some of the spreads and the uh, totals for this weekend. We're going to pick our favorites and we're going to give you some betting advice. Um, we will absolutely not care if you lose because we will probably lose with you. So, uh, Petey, give me your favorite <laughs> against the spread bet for this weekend. My favorite against the spread bet is uh, VCU by 13 over Duquesne. I think Duquesne's, I think Duquesne's on blowout alert there. I think that uh, all depends on Vince Williams. I think Vince Williams is going to be back, um, but I think VCU just got blasted at home by a rival in Dayton. They're much better than that 30 point loss. Um, I think they're going to, I think you're going to get a great effort for them. I think Duquesne is reeling, like nothing is working for Duquesne right now. Um, Duquesne only thing that's working in their favor is Duquesne has a pretty good turnover, uh, pretty good turnover percentage, but they allow just a ton of offensive rebounds. I think that, um, I, I think VCU is really going to be able to pound them. 
Uh, yeah, for me, I didn't choose that one just because I don't know if Vince is going to be back. Um, it might be a lot of points, but if he is, yeah, I'd take that too. Um, for me, my favorite against the spread bet is Mason minus five at LaSalle. Um, I really think that LaSalle, I mean, it's not really a think it's kind of just a observation. LaSalle is definitely the worst team in the conference right now. I don't think Tom Gola and all the chlorine in the air is going to stop Mason from winning by more than five. Um, and Mason, they kind of proved against St. Louis. I know it took a couple weeks because we were like, is Mason for real? Are they not? I think they're for real, um, especially with getting a top four. Um, that's definitely on their minds. And I really think that Mason's just going to go in there and win probably by double digits, if you want to put it that really. Yeah, man, they I don't know. They're they're Mason starters just log so many minutes against St. Louis. Like Devontae Gaines, ticket ticket played all 50 minutes. He didn't come off the court. Holy shit. Um, we had a bunch of guys, we had a bunch of guys playing like 45 minutes. Mason's bench is also terrible. Like it's not like Mark Schmidt level, but you know, the the bench is not getting a lot of minutes right now. So that that's one of the concerns for Mason. I probably should have mentioned when we were there down the season. So I think you gotta I don't know. LaSalle, like on the road after a double overtime, gigantic letdown effort. I think there's some, I certainly hope you're right. Like five points in that situation. It's a little. Uh, that's not, that's not that much though against LaSalle though. Like the, I, I was, I was half expecting it to be like minus eight or minus nine, but like yeah. minus I mean, five seems really low. Ken Palm, Ken Palm has it five, but like, yeah, I mean, LaSalle, yeah, they lost to Bonaventure in overtime, one possession game against Rhode Island. Um, you know, just, uh, they lost to da- they lost to Davidson by eight on the road. Um, you know, it's, a, uh, you know, we'll see. What's your favorite total over under for the weekend? Oh, geez. My favorite total. Um, Favorite total, if I look at this right, I might go. Uh, how about how about you go first? I mean, I'm I'm debating between a couple right now. But you go first. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna take uh, Dayton Slew over 133. Um, I know last time it went to 131, mm-hmm. um, but I'm kind of going off recent play uh, just because. Dayton's offense seems to have figured itself out a little bit uh, against a pretty good defense against VCU, even without Vince Williams. Um, they played a little faster. Um, you know, it, it was a, it was a much different Dayton offense than last time. And SLU's always been kind of like a fast team themselves. And with Dayton being on the road there, they might be susceptible to playing a little faster. So um, I'm going to take over 133 in that game. Yeah. Over 133. Interesting. I might go, um, I might go back to the VCU game and play under 121. VCU Duquesne. It's gonna be, it feels like it's gonna be slow. Um, I don't think there's gonna be a ton of possessions, like and v- VCU's offense is just like hilariously bad. Um, but I don't I don't know how Duquesne's gonna be able to score a bunch of points on him. Um, I might go there. I also might play go back to the well. UMass at Rhodey over 142. Um, I, th- I think, I mean, I think we just keep betting UMass overs until we have a great reason not to, right? Yeah. Ken, and Ken Palm, what, what did you, where did you get the 142 from? 
that that was from that was from Kempom himself. But the last game was one forty nine when they played at yeah. UMass. Yeah, so one thirty six. I'm showing seventy six sixty eight, which would be like one forty four, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I I think. I don't know. Roadie's at home. I think that game probably goes over because the Mitchell twins are just going to score two points every single time down the court. <laughs> um, you know, I think the we we go back to the well on the UMass overs. Yeah, I I, I kind of figured that was going to happen, but I wanted to, you know, if people wanted to bet something else than UMass Roadie, I think Dayton Slew's got a chance to go over one thirty three. That's kind of low for that game. Those games usually yeah. end up with a lot of scoring. So yeah, yeah. We got like any like sort of any upset picks you like this week? Ooh, you know, is, is it like is it know. an upset if Richmond beats Bana? Kind no, of. no, Rich Richmond's actually favored by four, which we oh might, they are that's, aren't that's they? Tomorrow's that's the Friday ten game. Yeah, Richmond. Um, I think the line is three and a half right now, but I mean that might be another like. Why would I trust Richmond to cover a big spread? They can't like they can't they can't stop anybody. Yeah, and I was thinking more I mean, four, like money line. Like I three and like half isn't big, but yeah. I mean, for anyone that watches the A10, I feel like Bana should be a favorite in that game, but they're not. I mean, if you're gonna take if you're gonna take an underdog, you're gonna take Bonaventure at Richmond, right? Like it's gonna it's gonna be another game that we're gonna watch and we're gonna be like, when's Richmond gonna let up a, a last minute shot to just yeah. like send everyone home in tears for like the third game of the it's season. It's going to, it's going to be close down the stretch and Richmond's yeah. just not going to get any stops. Yeah. It's like, it happens over and over again for him. Also Dave, Davidson, Davidson favored by 10 on the road at GW. Um, I still think GW is trash. I do not believe in them at all. Um, Somehow is, they're four and four. Is that, <laughs> is that one kind of they're four and four and they're still two fifty five in Ken Palm. Like they have their, you know, they had their, they had their oops game. You know, Mason had their oops game against George Washington coming off a COVID pause with no Odero. GW beat an absolutely fraudulent Rhode Island team. Rhode Island should have blasted GW. And then like, they just fell asleep. They were like up 18 to three out of the gates and they're like, yeah, we got this in the bag. And then like GW comes back. Um, And then their other two wins are like, was it Fordham and LaSalle? So like I'm no I don't believe in GW at all but I also like you know Davidson just keeps winning <laughs> they just keep winning close games like has to stop at some point right I mean they should probably win this by like 20 but Davidson has become like this team that just like they just win but they don't cover like they didn't cover against Fordham at Davidson. Fordham they didn't- they're, they didn't, they didn't cover, cover at, against Richmond, who has like a terrible defense. So they didn't like, cover. They didn't cover LaSalle. They only LaSalle at home. They won by eight. Um, they didn't cover Fordham. Um, their their last double digit win was January eleventh, uh, home against Massachusetts, and the one before that was January fifth on the road against St. Joe's. So they haven't been like they've been winning, but they haven't been blasting people. Yeah. And so then they go on the road to a crappy GW team. They won like three of their last four and four of the last six. So I don't know if they're, I don't know. I don't know if it means anything, but um, that one's like a little, little intriguing to me. Yeah. I, I, I personally, I probably take Davidson minus 10. Um, the line seems kind of low there. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want to play it somewhat safe, but yeah, I don't know. They're, they're, they're a weird team. They just like, they just yeah. win baby. They are. Um, all right, man. Any, any, any last thoughts on the A10 before we wrap up? 
Uh, there's a ton of games this weekend. <laughs> They're like all at two o'clock on Saturday. Um, but Arch Baron Cup <laughs> on Saturday night. Get ready. It's going to be another good one. Are you going to you going to be there? Oh, no, no it's, in, it's in St. Louis. Never mind. Yeah, it's in St. Yeah. Louis. But unfor- I, I thought about driving out there for it, but nah, it's not worth it with all the snow we're getting in the Midwest. Yeah, well, yeah, I get that. Um, no, nah, should be a good one, though. Arch Baron Cup, it's at 2 o'clock, unfortunately. I'm going to have to watch that on tape delay because uh, uh, Mason's playing at the same time. Too bad we couldn't put that in prime time. That should be the Friday night game. That really Why should. That? I don't understand how VCU Dayton and like SLU and Dayton are like never the Friday 10 games. Like it yeah. just blows my mind how those are never it. And yeah. tomorrow we get to watch. It's basically, I think someone put it out on Twitter. I forget what it was called, but it's like the, fr- the fraud, the, the fraud a 10 bowl. Yeah. No, Bonaventure Richmond. <laughs> yep. The, uh, a lot of people pointed out that out this week, that's a, that's a game for sixth place right now. <laughs> It's not yep. it. Uh, it was looking like it might be like a one-two matchup, but geez, just disa- disaster seasons for both of them. That's really the Friday 10 game is like who's less haunted is whoever <laughs> whoever wins that game. Just like what a, like what a, both, both teams are realizing just an absolutely, absolute worst case scenario completely. Yeah. Like Bonaventure, Bonaventure was 32 in Ken Palm last year. They have tripled that. They're now sitting at 96. That should not be possible when you bring back this in the starting five, but it is. That is like, I don't know. We've talked about a lot of stuff being like unprecedented or whatever. I bet you can't find another team in the Ken Palm era that has brought back the starting five and then like finished in the top 40 uh, the one year and then finished like outside the top 100 the next year like outside of a catastrophic industry where like uh, injury where like a starter missed a bunch of time. Um, but anyway, that's a, maybe we'll dive into that on a separate, um, in a separate conversation, but that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what we got to look forward to tomorrow. Who's less haunted. All right, man. Uh, I will be watching games and I'm sure we'll be tweeting at each other. All right. Well, that's Hey 10. We will see you next time.